good morning. If uh, we haven't met by chance yet, my name's Jesse. I'm part of the team here. Welcome. Uh, I don't want, I think Caleb almost underemphasized what occurred there. Some of you may remember we had him come up several months ago uh, and express the need for a home that he was, you know, obviously many of you know rent uh, uh, is expensive here. If you want to buy a house here, you usually have to sell a kidney or two. Uh, and um, we want staff here that can dedicate their lives to the community year after year and build trust in the school, build trust in the community. And God has provided for Caleb and Missy to be able to do that. That's a really big deal. So can we just thank the Lord one more time for what he's done? <clears throat> you know, the, uh, you, some of you have helped make that possible. I want to thank you for that. Uh, one of the things the elders, you know, I go through a, a yearly review uh, as, how, as far as, you know, where I'm at in my faith and, and how I'm leading the church and where I need to improve. One of the things the elders told me is, hey, Jesse, you know, uh, it'd be nice if you could communicate to the church uh, a little bit more often on the need of the financial side of the church, which I don't really ever do. Uh, but I want you to know, number one, I'm really thankful uh, for the way that you have given uh, for those of you who've been generous, but I also want you to know that, you know, there's a lot of new folks here. Maybe some of you aren't giving yet, and would, it would encourage you to do so because uh, not only is it a way to show the Lord where your treasure is, but it also helps to do the kind of things that help provide for our staff, our lights. Yesterday, I did a memorial uh, for a young man who passed away at Burning Man and was able to love on his mom and to love on his family and to love on a lot of people here who didn't know Jesus yesterday. And to do that completely and absolutely free, no charge, no, no, no asking for money, just giving of our love and our time. And if it isn't for your generosity, we don't get to provide for people uh, in that way. I'll, I'll remember probably the rest of my life. I had a, a man come up here uh, yesterday who doesn't know the Lord, and, and he, he told everyone as he was sharing about his friend, he, he said, you know, I definitely don't belong here. And he just shared that he... He knew that he wasn't the guy who was supposed to be in a church building. And I saw a lot of people even kind of nervous to walk into a church building. There's sometimes there's people who are like, if I walk in, I might die. Uh, and they, I saw one guy literally, he came up to the door, he turned around, had to take a deep breath, and then he was able to walk back in. And he came up and he said to everyone, he said, I don't belong here. I know I don't belong here. Uh, and I was able to come up and share the gospel with all those who were here. And I, I said, hey, I just want to correct you. You do belong here. Anybody who's broken, bruised, battered belongs here. Uh, and so your generosity helps, do those, uh, helps us accomplish those kind of things. Yesterday, as another example, uh, we had uh, Travis, our uh, missionary in Mexico. You know, they're building an orphanage in uh, Mexico to house uh, children who uh, need fathering, need parenting, and, and that takes a lot of funds and a lot of resources. They had a goal yesterday. There was a, uh, they had a, a fundraiser down in Roseville, and some of you I know were able to attend that. I wasn't because of the memorial. I was pretty bummed to miss it, but at the same time was doing something pretty important. And, um, and I, I was told he had a goal to try to meet $100,000 yesterday. And, and that goal, the reason they wanted to meet that goal was there was another individual who said, if you can get to 100000 I'll donate another 100000 and uh, which I think is like thirty, forty thousand more than they've ever raised. They hit one hundred and five yesterday. So crazy. So thank you, thank you for being part of just some of the amazing things God's doing. Uh, it's wonderful to be a part of a church that's living. Uh, this morning I get to speak on marriage, and so yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm gonna pray for myself that I, I don't get in trouble. Um, but uh, I'm going to tackle this a little bit differently. We're probably going to spend uh, at least another week in this particular segment because uh, there's, there's just a foundational principle in this segment that's important. So uh, I think the Lord will minister to you if you've been married, if you're thinking of getting married, uh, if you're struggling in your marriage. I think the Lord will minister to you if you're preparing for marriage, if that's something that you desire. I think you'll find this applicable no matter where you're at this morning. Uh, and so with that said, let's dive into the word. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to go to verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 22. And give the guys a few moments. Just keep your hand up if you need a Bible. 
this is another one of those things we I don't, I don't know what the number is, but I know we have to order Bibles all the time. This is another one of those things we give away free constantly, and uh, which is good. People are taking them and using them, and you know someone who needs a Bible, feel free to take this. You need a Bible, can't afford one for whatever reason, uh, you can take this. If you want a nicer Bible, the Lost and Found has a few out there uh, that haven't been claimed. Would you stand with me if you're able to this morning as we honor God's Word through the reading of His Scriptures? Starts out really fun for the women here, yeah? All right. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or, <clears throat> or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Lord, I pray that this passage would be illuminated through your spirit. It's only made possible by you. And I trust you, Lord, that I will not get in too much trouble for what I am about to say. In Jesus' name, the church said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Now, <clears throat> some of you are in the room, and uh, I've had the great privilege of being a part of your wedding. Uh, I see Stefan and Kelly sitting right here in the second row, and and I did their premarital counseling, and, and then I did their wedding, and I remember they went on their honeymoon, and they, they had some plans to, to just enjoy each other for a little while. And it wasn't too long after their honeymoon, they came up to our door with some white sheeted faces and said, we're pregnant. <laughs> and now you have several children, and God has been great in their marriage. And, and they would tell you, uh, and, and anyone else who's been in the room that I've done a wedding for, they would tell you that, that if I do a wedding, I do premarital counseling. Uh, and it's usually four or five weeks of spending time with the couple. And the foundation of that counseling is this is the passage that we go through. This is the passage I share at every single wedding that I officiate because it's foundational. The principles in it are foundational. Uh, and there's one way to teach this particular passage that, that I think can crush a couple, especially a young couple. I think this passage, if it's taught in a wrong way, could especially crush a couple that's been married for 10 years. So almost every time I sit a couple down, I read this passage and I tell them, I tell them, okay, hey, look at what it says here. It's kind of difficult to read at first, especially in our culture, because the first statement that's mentioned is that women should submit to their husbands. And then right away, women kind of bristle, right? Especially in our culture. I don't have to submit. Specifically, I want you to just note for a moment here, ladies, that, that it says to submit to your own husbands. This is not a submission to someone else's husband. This is not a submission to other men. It's specifically for the man in your home. And we'll, we'll tease some of this out in, in probably more next week on this reality of what submission looks like and what it means. But that's not going to be the point of the message this morning. The point isn't going to be women that you should submit, though, though I do want to, again, just look at verse 21 so that we're all aware just previously to it. Sometimes men, chauvinistic men, will leave out verse 21 because they want wives to submit to them, but they forget what it says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So this idea of submission isn't just specific towards a wife. It's specific for the church in general. There should be an overall attitude of submission to one another in the church. Uh, and then as it goes on, it, it, it doesn't leave the husbands alone, does it, ladies? No, it does not. It says specifically for the husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. 
Now, this is a radical commandment. I think it's an even more radical commandment than the word submission. It's a call to die to self. It's a call to give up oneself, right? Jesus loved the church by leaving heaven itself to come to this place that he would serve the bride, redeem the bride, and wash the bride. He even separated himself from the Father on the cross for but a moment so that you and I could be reconciled to God. This is radical love that a man is called to exemplify. And then it goes down in verse 33, and it adds to the idea of submission and repeats the word love again. If I remember correctly, the word love is mentioned six times in this passage. So an emphasis of love occurs here. But then it adds to it for the wives. Not only should the husband love his wife as himself, but see that the wife respects her husband. Now, it adds this word respect, right? And, and, and what's interesting about this particular passage is that by and large, the passage is asking you, as a husband, to do something that's not quite as natural for you as it is for the woman. And he's asking you as a woman to do something that's not quite as natural for you. What do I mean by this? Now, I don't care what culture really says. I care what the Bible says and what reality is. I think the church should be a buttress of truth, to hold up truth. Can we just all acknowledge that women are more sensitive and loving than men? They are. There's a reason why God, God designed women to carry the baby, to birth the baby, to hold the baby, and then to feed the baby. Any man, man here would go, no thanks. Don't want to do it. Right? I've learned something now that, that my oldest son is 13 years old, uh, and my youngest son is now seven. And something that I've realized now at the point of my life with my two older boys specifically, that when they were younger, there was no need really for me. Now, I'm overstating that. There's a need for the father to be present. But, but what I really mean by that is that when, when my kids, when they were little, when they got a boo-boo, who do they run to? Again, I don't care what culture says. They don't run to dad. Right? Because what does dad say? I know I said it probably more times than I could ever count. You don't need a Band-Aid. <laughs> but I do. No, you don't. Mom! Right? Now, now, though, as a, 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 that my kids are older and they're competing in football and they're competing in sports, now I, I have a greater role. They want to learn more of those masculine things because men live, though women mostly live in, in, in this idea of love for the most part, men do live kind of in a world of respect. And that's why almost any industry that has been ruled by men, whether it's a fire department or the army, there is a structure of submission that men just naturally know how to fall into. Men naturally know how to respect one another. I know it sounds silly, but there is this subconscious thing that men do when they walk into a room. They size up the other men and immediately put themselves in the classification of who they can beat up and who they can't. It's true, isn't it, guys? You look around and go, I could take him. I am not messing with that guy. And, and, and I, know, I know not everyone is like this. This is just kind of general speech. But the call for the woman to respect is a call that does not come natural. And the call to love for the man isn't something that necessarily comes natural because of the sin that has occurred. But nonetheless, God says that these are the precepts. These are the commandments for the husband and for the wife. And what I want you to know this morning is that these commandments are not possible without being spirit-filled with Christ himself. And what's interesting here is, is really, and this is the crux of the message, right? When you're looking at a passage, what you're trying to do is you're trying to look at what is the emphasis of what the passage is trying to teach. Now, again, if I sat down and I taught, and this is, this is typically how a lot of churches would teach this passage. It's typically how a lot of pastors may teach it in premarital. They would put a huge emphasis on the idea of love and a huge emphasis on the idea of respect. And those are important. I don't want to minimize them. But I want you to, to just imagine for a moment like Stefan and Kelly, sorry guys, this is what you get for being in the front row. They came to me and I gave them this message on love and respect. And I told them that if I just told them in that first, mess, in that first session, learn to love, learn to respect, learn to love, learn to respect. Now go, and that was the counseling session. And then we got married, they got married, we do the wedding ceremony, great privilege as a pastor to do that. And then, and then 10 years later, they came to the office. And some of you have done this. 10 years into marriage, and the marriage is a mess. The marriage is a disaster, 
right? And you sit down with me and I open up Ephesians chapter five and I say, do you remember what we taught 10 years ago? Husbands, Stefan, are you loving your wife? Kelly, are you respecting your husband? How good are you at respecting? How good are you at loving? Now, what you need to do is you need to go home and you need to just respect more. You need to love more. You need to honor more. You need to sacrifice more. Now go do. Now, if I did that, it would obliterate their marriage. (laughs) Someone who's a little more seasoned in life knows this great reality. They may even look at me and say, Jesse, we've been doing that for 10 years. We've been doing it for 10 years. They go, they may even go, they may even try. They're going to see me in the next six months. Maybe it leads to divorce, whatever it may be. We don't know. The passage is not about the husband loving the wife as he should. The passage is not about that particular commandment. The emphasis is not on the husband and the emphasis is not on the wife. The emphasis, when you look at a passage, again, you have to find what's the emphasis. The emphasis is in verse 32. Look at what it says. He just gave this idea of marriage, washing of the water of the word, all of these different things, loving yourself, loving your wife, being respectful. He says, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. He's actually saying marriage Marriage for it to work isn't actually about the husband's duties, and it isn't actually about the wife's duties. It's actually about what Christ has done in the marriage and what Christ has done in the believer's life. He says the mystery, this idea of mystery, anytime it's mentioned in the New Testament, it literally means that which was veiled, that which was unseen, is now made for all to see. And you know how I know this is the emphasis? Look at what he says in verse 33. It's a sidebar. However... However, I'm still going to encourage you to love your wife as himself and to let your wife see that she respects her husband. He kind of puts it off to the side because he wants the reader to make a connection between their relationship as an individual with their Lord. This passage is first and foremost about your marital relationship with Christ himself. That's what it's about. See, the Bible tells us time and time again that God himself, that Jesus is the groom and the church is the bride. Listen to Isaiah 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. Your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth he is called. Uh, Here's a good takeaway for husbands. If you want to be a good husband... And I don't say this in the cultural sense. I say it in the biblical sense. If you want to be a good husband, you've got to first learn how to be a good bride. Someone that knows how to walk with the Lord. Somebody who knows how to submit to God. See, this commandment for the, for the wives is also a commandment for the men as well, but unto the Lord. Are you able to submit to the Lord, to listen to his commandments and to heed them because of what Christ has done for you? Now, likewise, the church being the bride, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2 says this, that God himself feels a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you to one husband, he said. He says to the church, I betrothed you to one husband. I'm your, I'm your groom to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid. Now listen to the second part here, he says. But I am afraid that the serpent, as it deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray. That literally means your thoughts will be corrupted from a simplicity and pure devotion to Christ. You hear one of the things that God is saying to the church in regards to its marital relationship with Jesus? He's saying that there's a fear that he has. He has a fear, the author of Corinthians, it's just Paul, His fear for this immature church is that they would forget that Christ on the cross has washed them clean. This idea of being a pure virgin is that you have no stain, no guilt, no shame. You've been washed clean by your groom. But he's afraid for the church, he says, that just like the serpent came in and deceived Eve, that you and I, that our thoughts of the gospel would be made corrupted and that it would be made corrupted from what it says, the simplicity 
of what it is to have devotion to Christ. Did you hear that? This is not a complicated thing. What he's essentially saying for the bride is he's saying there's a concern for the bride of Christ that its, its faith would be, would be corrupted by the complexity of devotion to Christ. Your devotion, your relationship with the Lord should not be complicated. Just as I mentioned about that young man, coming to faith to Christ is not a complicated thing. If you were here this morning and you were wondering, what does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? It's one of the most intimate, most beautiful things that you can have. And then if you then ask the question, how does one have a relationship with Jesus? It's by faith and faith alone in the grace of Jesus Christ alone. Do you know how incredibly good news that is? Jesus is not saying to you in this passage, if you want to have a good relationship with me, you better submit. If you want to have a good relationship with me, you better love. No, he's saying, I have done these things. How do I know it? Because marriage is, is, is called throughout all of scripture. It, it's a covenant. Everyone say covenant. covenant. Right? A, a covenant, all a covenant is, is a big promise. A covenant is supposed to be something that is steadfast. This is the definition now. Steadfast. It right? keeps going. Permanent exclusive, this will become important here in just a few moments, exclusive and intimate. It's a long-term binding commitment. And God entered first into a covenant with a man by the name of Abram, who became Abraham. Remember that God came to Abraham and said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make of you many nations I'm going I'm to give you many nations. I'm going to make one nation out of many nations. Many people are going to come to me through you. You're going to have millions of descendants is what God said. It's going to be more numerous than the stars. He says, I promise this for you. I'm going to do this for you. And he enters into this covenant with Abraham. And in the passage in Genesis 15 where this is found, it says that Abraham believed God. Abraham had faith in God and God counted his faith as righteousness. Did you hear what I just said? It was Abraham's faith that counted Abraham righteous. Righteous means that you are now right with God. You're clean before God. It says in that passage in Genesis 15, before the cross, this is the grace of God. You're made right because of your faith in the Lord. And so God comes to him and says, I'm going to enter into this contract with you. And the way that they would enter into a contract back then was a very interesting way to enter into a contract. Right, today, if you enter into a contract with somebody, you're going to sign some documents and they're going to be binding, right? Uh, an, an NDA is what they may call that, something like that. Right? If you build somebody a house, I know there's some builders here, you sign, I, hopefully up front, a contract of some kind. And it's to be binding. There are legal implications to the contract. Well, back in, in, in Abram's day, that's not how they did things. They actually entered into a contract by taking animals. And for Abram, it was five different animals. Five different animals. It was, it was a, a, a cow, a heifer, a goat, a ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. So God tells Abraham to enter into this contract with him. And he says, go take these animals. And then what they would do is they would take all five of those animals and they would cut those animals in half and they would set them to the side and create like an aisleway. Pretty bloody gnarly experience, yeah? And then, and then each party would walk through those dead animals. And the other party would walk through those dead animals. And they would turn to one another and say, if I break this contract, let it be done unto me what was done to these animals. Big deal. <laughs> right? So God goes to Abram and says, we're going to enter in covenant. You got to do your part, Abraham. Right? You got to do your part. If you don't do your part, the consequences are dire. Could you imagine doing that on your wedding day? <laughs> I promise to love you, not forsake you, for richer or poor. And so he does. He lays it all out. And if you're, if you're familiar with the passage, what happens is amazing and just shows the declaration of how God is the one who keeps his covenant and God alone because God places a sleep upon Abraham and it's the presence of God that walks through the animals and Abraham never walks through them because no man can keep the covenant with God. Only God himself can keep the covenant. It's God alone who has kept this covenant. 
You know that covenant gets even more radical as you read the New Testament? This is one of the reasons why you have to read the Scripture. It's one of the reasons why you have to read the Old Testament. Because some of the stuff in here is just absolutely mind-blowing when you're able to see it through the lens of the gospel. And some of, it may, some of it may not even totally make sense to you, but if you dive in, another place that I think the covenant just radically shows itself is in the book of Hosea. And how many ladies have read the book of Redeeming Love by Francine Rivers? Right? This, it's like a woman's book. How many men have read Francine Rivers? Yes! If there's anyone in the room that I knew would read it, it would be you. I read it too. I read it in my bathtub with a candle next to me. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with the book it's basically a modern take a, a somewhat of a modern take on the book of Hosea and what Hosea is told by God God goes to Hosea and says Hosea what I want you to do for me is I want you to go pursue a prostitute and I want you to marry her and so he does he, he goes and he finds a prostitute and her name is Gomer which is a little bit different you know, I know names for ladies of the night are a little bit different now, but Gomer was the name of the day, right? And so he goes to this, this, this prostitute, he marries her, and as you read the book, it becomes very heartbreaking because he, he pursues her, he provides for her, he cares for her, and she continually sells herself out and cheats on him. Even to the point where the text seems to imply that she had children out of wedlock that were not Hosea's. And God's commandment to Hosea is to continue to love, to continue to pursue, and to continue to provide. And so he does. And then as you get near the end of the book, you come to realize the whole reason that God asked him to do this is because he was saying, this is what it is like for me to love my bride. The Old Testament depicts that any time that we worship anything other than God himself, any time that we, we worship something that, that, that isn't the Lord, any time that we run to something for our comfort, whether it's alcohol or drugs or pornography or any other thing, what that is to the Lord is a type of adultery unto the Lord. You have committed adultery to your husband that is Christ. And yet... And yet what the text is saying is that though you continue to do these things, he still pursues you. He still loves you. He still wants to wash you clean. He still wants to have a relationship with you. This is the great reality that no matter what you've done, no matter even what you may currently be doing, Jesus Christ will always pursue you. And he'll always love you unconditionally. There's places in the Old Testament it gets even crazier. He tells Israel, you, you basically have slept with all kinds of other gods under every tree that exists within Israel. I mean, it's pretty radical language. But it's the language of understanding of what sin has done. Sin corrupts us. Sin breaks us. And the passage when he says, this mystery is profound, that word profound, it's the Greek word megos. It means weighty powerfully affecting all of the senses. He, what Paul is saying is, is this mystery that is now made known that, that this passage is about God and Christ and his marriage unto you, it should weigh heavy on you. Part of the definition even, even shows a little bit of, of violence upon the soul, if you will. It shakes one's core. That the definition here of profound is mighty, it's strong, but it should be held in high esteem of great importance is what Paul says. Is it important to you? you? You see, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he had this great line. He said, it's not your love that sustains the marriage. It's not, it's not love that sustains a marriage. It's not love that sustains the covenant. But what it is in marriage, it's the covenant that sustains your love. It's the fact that you made a promise. Just like God made a promise to Abraham, just like Christ has made a promise to you as the bride of the church that I will neither leave you nor forsake you. And you know what the reality is of promises? If, if you don't know how to keep a promise, you're a slave. You're a slave if you don't know how to keep a promise. You're a slave to your own inclinations, your own feelings. In a culture that says, that says well, you don't need to be married. It's a culture that's basically saying, hey, you know, if things get bad, I can always bail. I can always get out of this covenant because I never really entered into one. Some of you know the story of Billy Graham and his wife, right? And, and his wife said, 
you know, when they were interviewing her, that in their marriage, that they never used the words divorce. Never. Murder, yes. <laughs> divorce, no. Because covenant, that the covenant that God has made as our groom, as we are his bride, is not based on his emotion. It's based on his steadfast, long-term, never-ending commitment to you. The good news of this passage is that you can now love your wife without feeling the need that she has to respect you. And you can respect your husband without feeling needed that your husband has to love you. What the passage is telling the couple, what I would tell the couple after 10 years of wrestling isn't go home and love more and respect more, but go home and know, wives, know the the, the undeniable, enduring love of Christ for you. Wives, what you need more than anything else is to know that you have been perfectly loved in Christ alone. You know why? Because your husband cannot provide that for you. Don't put that yoke on your husband. He can't carry that yoke. He wasn't made to love you unconditionally. He has too much sin in his life. Do you know what we bring into marriage? Our sin. That's it. We don't bring anything else but brokenness and baggage. And likewise, husbands, if you're looking to your wife to give you honor, to value you, that's what respect is. Give me value, give me honor. You've put a yoke on your wife that she was never intended to carry. Husbands, your value comes from Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to show you that value, but he also died on the cross to show you that he was willing to pay that price of how ugly your sin really is. Right, when we look at the passage, it's not about the woman's submission that we need to see first and foremost. It's about the submission of Jesus Christ we need to see first and foremost. To the degree, ladies, you've seen Jesus submit to you, and same for the husbands, will be the degree that you're able to submit to your spouse. Literally in John 6, 38, Jesus says, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the Father's. In Mark 14, in the garden, we all know he prayed that not his will be done, but, but God's will be, be done. He asked the Lord, take this burden from me, but I'll do whatever's asked of you, Lord. You see, what you have to see in the passage is that Jesus has been already perfectly submissive to the Father. Christ isn't asking any of us to do something that he himself has not done, and he's not asking us to do anything that he has not given us the spirit to accomplish. In verse 23, it talks about the man as the head of the house. But in order to do this well, we have to see that Jesus is actually really the head of the home. Colossians chapter 1, verse 18. He is the head. Right? Isn't that what the, the, the Bible teaches? Christ is the leader of the home. Right? For a home to operate in grace and forgiveness and peace and mercy and compassion and all of these beautiful things that all of us long for in our marriages, our homes have to be centered on the gospel of Jesus. Jesus must, must be mentioned often. Jesus should be spoken of regularly. Prayer should be something that is common. In addition, it tells us that he has saved us. He himself is the Savior and that he gave himself up. This is, again, a call for the husbands, but you have to see Jesus has already given himself. This is in chapter 5, verse 2, that Jesus has given himself to you. This is a word of generosity, is it not? Men, shouldn't we be generous with our wives to the degree that Christ has been generous with us? How about the washing of the word? Christ patiently working and doing what is needed to make us holy. Right? It, 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 God provides these things. He, he tells the husband to nourish the wife. Christ is the one who ultimately nourishes the wife. And this is why I think in our homes, we should make an emphasis, especially towards the men. Men, you, you, you should be making it an important deal to pray an important deal to bring your family to church that they could be washed by the community and the love of God, the centrality of who Jesus is because the world is constantly trying to take you away from this perfect center of what God is and what he's about and what he can do for you. Right? This isn't a magical moment in this room. It's a Holy Spirit moment that God's word never returns void. 
that as we read scripture and teach scripture, and as we humble ourselves before the Lord, who is our maker, and see the incredible price that he has made to redeem his bride to himself, we don't need less reminders of this, do we? We need more reminders of it. We need to be constantly reminded of the gospel. You show me somebody who says they understand the gospel and they don't need to hear it anymore, and I'll show you the first person that needs to hear it again. I myself, more than anything else in my life, after 20-something years of ministry, I'll be married 20 years in December. Yeah, I'm an expert now, so. (laughs) What's held us together, and and I mean this, I I feel this in my heart, and I think my wife would say the same. We're still as madly, if not more madly, and free and loved together after 20 years than we were the first day we got married. But you know what's also true of that? We've also seen probably the ugliest parts of each other. And the only reason that we've been able to progress and and to be in love the way that we are is because I know I can speak for myself. I'll let her share this after the service with you. She'll be out there to let you know. Um, I still see the Holy Spirit in her. I see a piece of God's spirit that I don't have. I see God at work in her. I don't see her as perfect, but, but I see God at work in her life. I see her growing closer to the Lord year after year, now decade after decade. It's not about how, how you do this. It's about how much you, you, you set yourself under and say, I'm committed to my relationship. First and foremost, I'm committed to my marriage with Jesus Christ. Basically, the crux of the message this morning is a marriage that lasts understands that Jesus is better at keeping his promises than we are. Jesus is better at keeping the covenant. And I just want to share just a couple things here because because what breaks this apart but also gives us the understanding of why we need, need God's grace is sin itself. I just need to make you aware of, of how easy it is for us as men to fall into the trap that Satan wants us to fall into, the corrupted thing that, that Paul is fearful the church will be taken away from. It all happens in Genesis 3, chapter 12. Right? When sin enters and God comes to Adam and says to Adam, hey, what happened? He's asking him, why have you sinned? Do you remember his response? The man said, well, it was the woman who you gave me. She gave me the fruit. In sin, the natural inclination for men is to thwart leadership and to thwart responsibility. If you're going to be a gospel-centered husband, a spirit-filled husband, and we'll tease some more of this out next week, you need to be a man who's willing to take leadership. You need to be a man who's willing to take responsibility. I read this week that the USA, the, United, the great United States of America, leads the, leads the world in fatherless children. Close to 18 million kids without dads. And somewhere in the feministic movement, we got this idea that men were failed women. And men have been happy enough in our day and age to go ahead and, and take a back seat and to not lead, and to not take responsibility for the home. I said it in the first service, I'll say it in this one too. The children's church sign-ups, the first ones who should be signing up are men. Those kids need to see more men, not less of men. They need to see men devoted to Christ, devoted to purity, devoted to the gospel. Sin takes that away. But then in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, we can't leave the ladies out, can we? He says as part of the curse of sin... I'll multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you'll bring forth children. Now listen, here it is. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband. Now that word desire is really interesting because it's only found in one other place in Genesis. And it's in the following chapter, in chapter 4, when Cain kills Abel. And then when Cain killed Abel, and God comes to Cain, and he says, he says, Cain, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is contrary to you. You see, where men, men in their sin, 
want to thwart leadership and responsibility, women have a natural tendency in their sin to want to take control, to be in charge. And this is why God says, listen, we need to do in grace, we need to do some course correcting. Ladies, do what you can to support your man to be a good leader in the home. Husbands, do everything that you can to take responsibility for your home. Because Jesus has taken responsibility for you. He didn't sin, but you did. And he yet still took the responsibility for your sin, didn't he? See, the whole idea this morning is I invite the worship team to come up and uh, my elders and deacons to, to do communion. Is that if we look to Jesus, if we look to him as our perfect groom, then and only then can we practice this kind of grace with one another. And if you lose sight of Jesus in your marriage, your marriage will will struggle. And I just want to say to those of you who desire to be married, just know that Scripture does teach those who are married will have many troubles. (laughs) You know, the Bible actually says that those who are single, you you are a wonderful gift to the church because you can have a central focus on just the gospel. But for those of you who are desiring to be married, it's a good thing to desire to be married. It's a great thing. But what are you doing today with your relationship with Christ to prepare you for that day? Are you practicing submission? Are you practicing love and adoration? So the only one that matters. And as the guys go ahead and you guys can start handing out the elements, just hold on to the elements we'll participate together take a few moments this morning to stand before the one who made you and say Lord thank you for doing everything that's necessary to show me the love that I need I can honestly say to you this morning Jesus is the only one who can give you everything that you've ever desired within your heart He's the only one who can give you the ability to totally feel loved and accepted. He's the only one, men, that can show you the honor and value that you are. Don't put another person, don't put a yoke on another person they can't carry. That's why Jesus says, my yoke is, it's not heavy. It's not burdensome. My yoke is light. Christianity is not that difficult. It's faith and faith alone. Take a few moments to pray. Take a few moments to sit in the presence of the Lord and we'll participate together.
just about <clears throat> every problem in a marriage usually comes down to one spouse, if not both spouses, trying to control the other. And I just want to encourage you that you would release that control to your Savior this morning. No one loves your husband quite like Jesus does, and nobody loves your wife quite, quite like Jesus does. Would you liberate your spouse from perfection this morning? Would you come to the Lord and say, Jesus, thank you for loving me the way that I really need to be loved. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving me the value that I, I really need. You know, the Lord cares about your marriage because your marriage is supposed to be a gospel declaration to the world of God's grace and forgiveness. You know, sometimes I've heard in the church a frustration that the church is too focused on families. And I understand that at times for those who are single and those who've lost loved ones, but in order for us to be where the Lord needs us to be, we, we need strong families. Strong families that love Jesus, dads who disciple their children, moms who show what it is to be devoted to the Lord. It's one of the reasons why our nation is falling apart because Satan has always known that if he can destroy the family, he can destroy the people. I encourage you to step into God's grace this morning. It's allow, it allows you to do the best you can, but to do it imperfectly because there's no one perfect. One of my favorite authors, Tim Keller, says, for, for those getting married, just know you never marry the right person because there's no such thing. Would you stand with me? As we participate in communion together, the scripture teaches us for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Communion is that declaration. We have left behind the father of sin and bondage. And now we have become one flesh with the groom that is Christ. Communion is a declaration that we are unified with him and we are one with him. That he is within us. That he is a part of us. And that he'll never leave and he'll never forsake us. So Lord, as we participate this morning, we thank you for your great love and your great adoration. I know from here there'll still be moments that are needed for marital counseling and premarital counseling. We just ask for provision for all of it. Help us as a culture, Lord, as a church culture, to elevate woman, Lord, to, to the equal status of man and for man, Lord, as well, that, that we would see men and women were created equal and we express you in different ways that both need to be valued. So we trust you for that work. And we thank you for giving your body and your blood on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen. You may partake. His body, broken for us. God bless you. Can't wait to see you guys next week. Enjoy living with your spouse, husbands. We'll talk about that a little more next week, what it is to live with understanding. Have a great, great afternoon. Let's sing together, friends.